And he said to me, take and eat it, and it will make your stomach bitter, but it will be as sweet as honey in your mouth. You may be seated. We are getting a double dose today. Two lessons from the book of Revelation. Also, I want to uh, call your attention to the bulletin article. Uh, there is information about Revelation chapter 10 uh, in this article. I'll not be actually referring to this article. Uh, this is a bonus material for you in regards to Revelation chapter 10. A few years ago, Reader's Digest published an article. It was entitled, Words I Like to Hear. For example, words that you would like to hear from your auto mechanic. Well, that part is much less expensive than I thought. Probably not going to hear that. Or, you could get that done a lot cheaper just going down the road to that other garage. Or, it was just a loose wire, no charge at all. You're probably not going to hear that from your auto mechanic. Or, these are words that I would have loved to hear when my son Justin was in kindergarten. Today, everyone misbehaved except your son Justin. Or, at lunch today, Justin traded his candy bar for carrot sticks. I can guarantee you that would have never happened. Or the teacher would say, I wish I had 20 Justins in my class. Once again, probably not going to happen considering our son. Or how about this? Words from a clerk at the store. Well, I hate to tell you, but the cash register is down. But don't worry, I'll just add up your purchases with a pencil and paper so you won't have to wait. Or, I'll take a break after I wait on you. Or finally, we're sorry we sold you defective merchandise. We'll pick it up at your home and bring you a new one or give you a complete refund, whichever you prefer. Once again, probably not going to happen. Some words are just music to the ears. They're sweet to hear, especially during the bitter experiences of life. And guess what? We all experience those bitter experiences. They all come to us. It's the ups and certainly the downs of life. The Apostle John found such words even in the midst of his vision of the coming persecution. He sees the terrible pain and, and suffering that is to come, and it certainly did come. But in the midst of all of that, he finds sweet words. Go with me to Revelation chapter 10. Verse 1, I saw still another mighty angel. Now he's already seen a strong angel, so this is a mighty angel. Coming down from heaven, uh, clove with a cloud. 
and a rainbow was on his head. His face was like the sun and his feet like pillars of fire. He had a, a little book open in his hand and he set his right foot on the sea and his left foot on the land and cried with a loud voice as when a lion roars when he cried out seven thunders. Seven thunders uttered their voices. Seven thunders. Now thunder in the book of Revelation is usually associated with God's judgment. So these seven thunders are, are probably seven more judgments to come on the earth. But notice verse 4. Now when the seven thunders uttered their voices, I was about to write, but I heard a voice from heaven saying to me, Seal up the things which the seven thunders uttered, and do not write them. That's kind of odd, isn't it? Do not write them. For some reason, God doesn't want us to know what these particular judgments are. There's a fictional story about a king who was granted two wishes. His first was to see the future. I want to see the future. But when he saw everything that lay ahead, the beauty and the pain, he immediately asked for his second wish, that the future be hidden. There are some things we just can't handle. And perhaps that's the case with these thunder judgments. They must be so bad that it's better for us not to know what they are. And yet, in the midst of all of that, John sees something that encourages him. He sees something that brings him great comfort. And I believe it will bring great comfort to you and me. He sees a, a big angel with a little book or a scroll. He sees a large messenger with a little message. Verse 1 calls him a mighty angel. Now, I mentioned we have already seen a, a strong angel in our study of Revelation so far. We saw that strong angel back in Revelation chapter 5, verse 2. And there we also saw, we saw another book, a, a seven-sealed scroll. But it's a different, different book than what we have here in chapter 10. We have a, a totally different type of book. In chapter 5, that strong angel is the one who asked the question. Remember the question? Who? Who is worthy to, to break the seals and, and open the scrolls? In other words, who is worthy to take ownership of the world? Who steps up to the plate? Well, you remember, that's when Jesus steps forward in chapter 5 and He takes the scroll and He begins to break its seals. He, Jesus, is claiming His authority over the world. And all heaven rejoices. I like chapter 5. Here in chapter 10, we have a representative of Jesus. It's an angel. His appearance, His stance, 
Even His voice all speaks of divine authority that comes from God the Son. So in the troubles of your life, when you have those bitter experiences, when your world seems to be in chaos, do this. Remember that Jesus is still in control. Jesus is still in control. He has not vacated His throne ever. We can rely on that. We, we can take comfort in, in that. The early Christians, the early Christians, they needed to hear this. And so do we today. We see Jesus' control through this picturing of, the, of this mighty angel appearance. Verse 1 tells us that he's wrapped in a cloud. What does that remind us of? Go back to Exodus. It reminds us of the pillar of cloud that led the children of Israel out of Egypt, through the wilderness, and even into the promised land. Wrapped in a cloud. And see, God, back then, God was in control, yes. Even when they had to wander in the desert for 40 years, He was still in control. Certainly, God is in control now. Amen. More than that, this angel has a rainbow over his head. There's a rainbow that surrounded the throne of God back in Revelation chapter 4, verse 3. It speaks of God's power and His ability to keep His Word. You can bank on what God promises you. You see, in Genesis 9, after God had flooded the earth, He set a rainbow as a sign that he would never globally flood the earth again. And to this day, thousands of years later, God has kept his promise. God has kept his word. Every time we see the rainbow, and I love to see rainbows, every time we see the rainbow, we are reminded of his promises. We are reminded that God keeps His Word. We are reminded that no, no matter how bad things get, and this world can get pretty bad, God will never, ever let us down. Never, ever let us down. In addition, this angel's face shines like the sun and his feet are like pillars of fire. Once again, back in the book of Exodus, God protected and directed his children of Israel with a pillar of fire. That reminds us of what God had done for them. This angel, he reminds us of that. You see, in Revelation chapter 1, verse 16, Jesus stands among the churches the seven churches of Asia, with his face shining like the sun. You see, everything about this mighty angel's appearance reminds us that God is in control. And we need that. We also see that in the mighty angel's stance, 
Verse 2 says that his right foot is on the sea and his left foot is on the land. In other words, he stands over all the earth, reminding us that Jesus is indeed Lord. There is no question about it. In the midst of the seeming chaos of the persecution that was coming upon the early Christians, don't forget, God is really in control. He has not abandoned you. Jesus is still Lord of all and His plan, His plan is still being carried out. The early Christians, they needed to hear this and today so do we. Now if God was in control, and He was, during the great persecution, that is certainly true during the little problems that we experience today. You see, we must resist. We must resist bowing down to Satan. We must resist his temptation. We must resist listening to him. We must be part of the resistance in opposition to who? To the devil. We have to what? Trust that Jesus, our resistant leader, is good. That he knows what he's doing and he's on our side. Jesus is working out his sovereign plan for our eternal good. So when things are not so good, when things are going bad for you, when your life seems to be in chaos, Remember that Jesus is still in control. Remember that Jesus is still on the throne. And what else? Realize that He will complete His work. He'll not leave His work unfinished. He will complete His work. The early Christians, they needed to hear this and so do we. The Lord will finish what He started and will accomplish His good plan. That's what the angel says, starting in verse 5. The angel whom I saw standing on the sea and on the land raised up his hand to heaven and swore by Him who lives forever and ever, who created heaven and the things that are in it, the earth and the things that are in it, and the sea and the things that are in it, that there should be delay no longer. God is not going to allow Rome free reign. There's going to be no more delay, Rome. You're going to find the way is tough. You have been tough on my children. I'm going to make it tough for you. You're going to reap the whirlwind. You are going to pay for your misdeeds. In the days of the sounding of the seventh angel, when he is about to sound, the mystery of God would be finished. That word there also means complete. You see... God's plan will not have any holes in it. God's plan will not have any holes in it. Have you ever started maybe putting together, hey, dads, have you ever started putting together a toy for your child and you end up, you look around and there's a part that you forgot that's still missing? That toy's not complete. 
you left out a part. God's plan will not be left out. God's plan will be completed. First century, second century Christians, don't worry. God's plan is going to be completed. 21st century Christians, same message. God's plan will be completed. Go back to the Old Testament. Isaiah reports about a time when the lion would lie down with the lamb. Jeremiah talks about a time when the righteous, righteous branch of David would execute justice and righteousness on the earth. Daniel. Daniel talks about a time when, when God would set up an everlasting kingdom. He also talked about a time when the Messiah would put an end to sin and bring in everlasting righteousness. The prophets. The prophets of old looked forward to a time of worldwide blessing and peace. They looked forward to the coming of God's kingdom, the Lord's church. The Lord's church is the only true answer to the world's problems. The world's problems won't be solved by Washington the world's problems won't be solved by any elected body. The world's problems can only be solved by God and His church. The early Christians, they needed to hear this. And so do we. Because life can have so many bitter experiences. And we can get discouraged and disillusion, and guess what? It's easy to give up. It's easy to give up. Just two weeks ago, I was visiting with a, a young Christian, and she was at her wit's end. Life, life had not been fair to her. A lot of bad things had happened. And she said, I'm, I'm just ready to give up. She even said, I've thought about suicide. Life can be bitter. I started right then and there reminding her of all the good. I started right then and there reminding her of all her promises that she has in God. And I started reminding her that life here on earth is just a a drop in the ocean of eternity. Not even a drop. Because eternity is never ending and this is ending. It doesn't matter if you live to be 60, 70, 80, whatever. Life here on earth is not meant to continue. We are living for a better world. And that better world is only attainable through what? The Lord's church. God wanted to get that message to that first and second century Christian. And God wanted me to get that message to that young Christian woman. Do not give up. Do not give up. Because we, we live for a better world. A better life. We need a healthy return of the return of Jesus. 
I'm afraid sometimes we maybe dread His return. I think maybe sometimes we have an unhealthy view of the return of Jesus, and it scares us. We shouldn't be scared. We should look forward to it. You know how your children, you know how your children love to go to grandma's house? <laughs> you know, I think every child that I've ever seen loves to go to grandma's house, you know. Grandma's house, there's, you know, very little rules and, you know, a lot of food, a lot of candy, a lot of sweets, and you get to do what you want to do, and, and grandma's going to spoil you, right? Okay, I'm looking at a bunch of grandmas here. We need to have the same view of the return of Jesus. A healthy view of the return of Jesus gives meaning to your work today. It not only helps you to endure times of trouble, it motivates you to be actively involved in His redemptive plan. Because you know that your labor is not in vain. So in the chaos of life, remember that Jesus is in control. Realize that He will complete His work. Then find consolation in God's Word. That's what John does here. Find encouragement and comfort in His promises. Find a sweet message there, even in the bitter experiences of life. That's what John found. Verse 8. Then the voice which I heard from heaven spoke to me again and said, Go, take the little book which is open in the hand of the angel who stands on the sea and on the earth. So I went to the angel and said to him, Give me the little book. And he said to me, Take and eat it. I'll explain in just a moment. Take and eat it, and it will make your stomach bitter, but it will be as sweet as honey in your mouth. Then I took the little book out of the angel's hand and ate it. And it was as sweet as honey in my mouth, but when I had eaten it, my stomach became bitter. Hang on, we're going to get to it. And he said to me, You must prophesy again about many peoples, nations, tongues, and kings. You must prophesy Again, what's going on here? Revelation could end here, right here. But the angel tells the Apostle John that he must again prophesy. In other words, John must again recount the terrible judgments of the tribulation, which he does in the last half of the book. The last half of the book we'll see here in a couple chapters, is a retelling of the first ten chapters of the book. Because God is saying, this message is so important, I'm going to have to tell you again. Did your mother have to say, you know, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to tell you again, because I want you to know for sure that you know it. Well, God is telling these prophecies. He's given these pictures again for us so that we don't miss it. The last half of Revelation, beginning in about two chapters from now, is just another look at the judgments already described in the first half of the book. A little bit more pictorial, 
a little bit more graphic, but it's really just a retelling of the first ten chapters, or actually chapters four through chapter ten. They are bitter words of judgment. And John is asked to eat them. He's asked to absorb them into his very thoughts and emotions, into his very being. I'm sure that John was not looking forward to having to repeating those words of judgment. No one would. But when he does, he finds those very words to be sweet in his mouth. Because when you talk about judgment, and you talk about those who will be judged wrong, that's hard to do. We don't want any of our friends and family to be on that other side. But then also we are reminded of the judgment of the righteous. And we're reminded of what God will give to us. Those of us who are found faithful. So while we bemoan the people that we love who miss out, we celebrate what we will receive. You see, you can find sweet words even during life's bitter experiences. He finds a sweet message in the bitter experiences of life, and so can we. When we open God's Word, we find words that are sweeter than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. In the bad news situations of life, find good news in this little book that we call the Bible. In the bitter experiences of life, find sweet comfort in God's holy word. One of the things I asked that young lady who was contemplating suicide, I asked her to start studying with me and and I gave her some, some of my favorite passages to lean on. I asked her to turn to the book of Philippians. The book of Philippians is such a positive, uplifting, joyful book. And we started studying the book of Philippians. They were the Christians. They needed to hear this, and so do we today. So when you hear bad news, find good news in God's Word. Open this book and remember that Jesus is still in control. Realize that Jesus will complete His work and find comfort in that. In God's Word, the Bible, find sweet, encouraging words. Let me talk a little bit about the family memory passage. You may look at that and say, well, that doesn't mean a whole lot. It's just one or two memory verses, and I'm too old for that. I did that back when I was in grade school. This is an opportunity, an opportunity for all of us, grandparents, parents, children, friends, family, an opportunity to work together to memorize some key passages from the Bible. How important is that? When Jesus faced down temptation in the wilderness, he didn't put up his dukes with the devil, say, okay, devil, okay, I'm ready, I'll fight you. He quoted scripture. Think about that. How much better would it be if we 
could quote scripture. Let me urge you, we'll be putting this on Facebook several times each week. Uh, I've got someone helping me do the slides. She's doing a wonderful job on that. And hey, it's there for you to be reminded. Let's do this together. Hey, moms and dads, quiz your kids. And kids, you have my permission to quiz your parents, okay? So go right ahead, start quizzing them. Say, Mom, Dad, do you know the passage? Hey, I know it. Do you know it? And then when you're over at Grandma's house, quiz her too. Hey, why not? I give you permission. So go right ahead. I think the family memory passage is a great idea. Let's not discount what it could do for us as a church. Hey, when your immediate circumstance is pretty poor, I want you to tune in to God's Word. I want you to open up that little book and consume its words. It really will give you something to cheer about. And now I'm going to give you one final story, and the lesson is yours. This happened back several, several years ago. It was in October of 1982. The Wisconsin Badger football team was playing at home in Madison, and they were taking on the Michigan State Spartans. They were not of the same caliber of the Michigan State Spartans. I mean, after the first quarter was over, they were already way, way behind. And the football players for, for Wisconsin, they couldn't understand because they would look up in the stands and, and, and their fans would be, yay, yay. And the fans would broke out, break out in, in jubilation. And they thought, they're celebrating our loss. We're getting stomped out here and our fans are having a party. What those football players didn't know was that those fans were listening on the radio, listening to the World Series game. The game between the Milwaukee Brewers and the St. Louis Cardinals. And every time the Brewers scored, the fans in the stands would celebrate. It was giving them something to cheer about. Life is tough. But I believe there's something to cheer about right here. We can cheer about God's Word. Are you a Christian? If not, why not? I can't think of any even half-decent reason not to be a Christian. I can think of a whole laundry list of reasons to be a Christian. If you are a Christian and, and maybe you're not living a life that is reflective of Jesus, isn't it wonderful that God will forgive he promises that, 1 John 1, 9. The church here stands ready to pray for you and with you, James 5, 16. If you have any need to respond, will you please do so while we stand and sing for your encouragement. My